Welcome to the road to growth, success of an entrepreneur. We've raised the bar. Learn firsthand from successful business owners and create your own path to success. I'm going to show you how great I am. It's time to hit the road to growth with team lead of the Enriquez Group, Realtor Vinny. Thank you, Genevieve, for being here. So you are the founder of the Pachan. Pajama program. Oh my gosh, it can be a little bit of a tongue twister. Sorry <laughs> yes, I am the founder of Pajama Program. Uh, so, kind of walk us through what does the Pajama Program do? Yes, well, we are a national nonprofit. Next year, we celebrate 20 years. And I started it um, because of a story, which I'll get into in, in a little bit. But basically, we provide new pajamas and new books to children because we believe a good night is a good day. So, these children. Um, need to thrive and, and they need all the help they can get and the support and that bedtime ritual that they uh, are missing is such an important part of the next day. And so we, you know, I started simply with pajamas and books and now we do, you know, bedtime uh, rituals and help the instructors and the families and the children know that that's so important. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to love to get into this, love to hear your story. Question that I'll probably get, I mean, I think people are going to listen to this one. And they're going to say, well, maybe if I wanted to start a nonprofit, I see something wrong with the world. I see something wrong here my society. What was the process like of getting the ball rolling? You know, I didn't set out to start a nonprofit. I set out to climb the corporate ladder. And I did that for 15 years and worked in Manhattan and worked in the TV business behind the scenes. And I really loved my job. I wanted to be an independent woman and I was, and I was single, didn't have a family of my own. And what happened was really an incredible um, moment. I heard a voice in me ask me one day, if this is the next 30 years of your life, is this enough? And it stopped me cold because I'd never thought about it. I was racing so fast up that ladder and I realized soon after that I did miss having my own family and children. So I started to read in shelters after work to the children that were brought in by police and social workers. And I read them stories and I didn't know their situation. They couldn't tell me legally and I didn't ask. I just figured I knew what I watched on TV in those news reports. And every week I went to a different shelter, did the same thing, read to the, to the children from the children's books I brought. And one night I peered into the next room where they were going to sleep at night and it broke my heart because it was so bare. And, you know, we sat in a bare room to read stories. We sat on the floor and this room was also bare and the staff were lovely, but it's not, it's not your, you know, your mom and dad, the, the place that you go to night after night for that love and comfort and, and confidence. And they were sleeping in their clothes. So I decided I'd bring pajamas the next time because my mom gave us pajamas. It, it, doesn't every kid have a pair of pajamas? So I brought pajamas. And when I handed them out, there was a little girl who was so afraid to take them. And she kept shaking her head, no. And then at the end, when she was the last one, I tried one more time. She asked me, what are they? What are pajamas? And that's when I had that moment that everything sort of came crashing down about what what I'd been doing for 15 years, what I thought success was, what I thought would make me happy, but it really didn't make me happy. And it was breaking my heart that there, there were children like her. And couldn't I get pajamas for at least some of them? And that's how it started. 
So uh, a couple of questions, a couple. Um, now, the demeanor, what kind of demeanor did the, the kids have? Because sometimes when you don't know what you don't know, you're still happy. And I've talked to people here that grew up, grew up poor, grew up in bad situations. They they were happy in those situations. Did they know they were missing out on that childhood in those kind of situations? Yes. Those places I went to in the beginning were all emergency shelters. The children were recently brought out 24-7 at any time of day or night by police or social workers to a safe place. Sometimes they had an adult if they had a mom, but a lot of times they didn't come in with an adult, or if they did, they were separated because the mom might need some attention. And these children were afraid. So that was the worst situation you know, on the spectrum. And how did you come across these uh, shelters? I mean, did you know someone that did it before, kind of, or what happened there? I called police and I said, where do you take these children that we see on the news? And where the social workers, where are the the shelters? And they gave me um, two. And then when I went to those places, they liked that I was reading to the kids and I became friendly with a couple of them and they led me to others and some some you could find you know by looking them up and some were really hidden for safety sake so was there a story on the news what was that instant where you go i need to call the police to find out about these shelters no i sat there wondering why i answered no to the question if this is the next 30 years of your life is this enough and when i realized that you know, my Italian upbringing, where my parents expected me to get married and have children, I thought, oh, that's not for me. I thought, well, maybe I did miss something. Maybe I didn't, you know, think about that or or the long-term effects because I was alone. And I realized how I missed that bonding with, with children. I saw my sister had it, my brothers had it, and it just sort of just came on, on me. And I thought, oh my goodness, I want to, I want to be with children. I want to give them some, some love. And I thought, where could I do this? And that's when I said, you know what? I I read the paper every day and I cringe at the stories. I watch the news. So, that you know, I think divine intervention, the ideas just came and I just, you know, I would have kept looking until somebody would tell me where there was a shelter. But I, I I did get lucky and I did get a couple right away. So walking back from the beginning, where did you grow up? What was your childhood like? And then kind of taking you to the corporate world. Yeah, sure. I grew up in Yonkers, New York. My father and mother Italian. My father came from Italy at the age of 15, and it was a very traditional Italian home. Uh, My dad went to college here. He wanted that, and he wanted that for his children. And my mom was a homemaker, and she was uh, a great mom. They had four kids. I'm the first of four. And I wanted to, like I said, go to college and be an independent woman. I wanted to work in uh, Manhattan. And to me, that was success. So I was very driven. And, you know, my I'm sure my parents, I know my parents were, were curious about where that came from, especially my dad, um, because my sister and my brothers, you know, they got married and, and had kids. And that was, you know, not my path. So, you, so your parents were immigrants at the age of 15? My father was from, yes, my mother's family came from Italy, but she was born here. He came off the boat with his father. What, I mean, talking to um, uh, children of immigrants, you see that sometimes you get that drive from the parents because for the most part, you know, they, they usually have that drive in them. Do you feel that was helping you, guiding you in the corporate world or how do you think that played into your life? 
Yes, and actually in the acknowledgements, um, I talk about my mom and the love she gave us and my father for his work ethic. Yes, um, you know, he was always the one that I would wait to see what he thought of my report card. And even if it was an A, you know, he'd say, pretty good. And I would always look for that, you know, wow, fabulous. I'd get that from my mom because, you know, she was a loving mom. He was loving too, but he was always looking for, you know, you got to be the best. You got to work hard. You know, he came to this country and he, he was such a patriot and he worked really hard. And to him, that was what you needed to do. Now, I know for like sometimes if you have that pressure of get, of kind of succeeding, you have to get the A plus, right? A is not good enough. Do you think there was ever times where you would get deflated or kind of like pushed back? Because some people can grow like a phoenix in the fire. Other people get burnt in the fire. Um, no, I think I, of course, I was always nervous to to show him because I did want, you know, more than he was willing to say, you know, that, that it was good. You know, we always want that, that perfect from our parents on a, you know, on school. And, and I was a nerd. So that would mean a lot to me. You know, my sister was a beautiful cheerleader and my brother was in um, theater and he was a good actor. And my other brother is still a star soccer player. And I was a nerd, you know, and, that was what I knew. And I was, I was good at it. And so I figured, all right, let me just, uh, you know, embrace it and, and see if I could be a businesswoman. So I tried. And so, so what happened? So, um, you are doing good in school. How did you transition into the corporate world? Um, I went to college locally, Fordham university, another, another traditional thing that, um, was hard to, wasn't, I wasn't allowed to live away. And I of course had all the colleges that I wanted to go lined up as far as Nevada, I did not realize that my parents said, no, 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 you were staying home and going to a college. So I had no choice. So I had to stay local. And I WFUV at Fordham is a, was and is a very big station, radio station. And I started to volunteer there. And I was an on-air personality and an off-air producer. And when I was looking for my first job when I graduated, I called in New York WINS radio station, which is still a very big news, all-news station. And the news director had me on the phone for a while and I found out because he said I did have a good radio voice and he hired me for an overnight shift of a project they were doing called News Phone where you could call 24 hours and you'd hear me telling you the news. So it started there and then when I got into that office, I did midnight till eight, I was leaving at eight and all the TV people from Group W Productions were coming in and I had conversations with them because they wanted to know what's this girl doing in this little office with a microphone and a recording studio overnight. And I said, my dream really is to be in TV. And that was TV sales. And, and they hired me there. So I just, then I decided I liked the creative part. And it, you know, it was just, it was that climbing the corporate ladder, working hard, first one in, last one out. Was So that first job that the call that you made, was there actually a job opening or was this a, a cold call? No, it was a cold call. I remember I had my phone, the old black phone. I had it under my bed. And the minute my eyes were open, I grabbed under, I can picture it. I grabbed under, felt around for the phone and I had my list of numbers. And before I even got out of bed, I made a first round of calls, just cold calls. And I was really surprised that the operator patched me through to the news director. I don't know why, fate. Um, I don't know that she was listening for any voices to pass on to the news director, but he was apparently looking for voices. And so we talked for half an hour and I thought it was really generous of him to listen to this nobody, you know, pitch him and and that's why 
Weren't you afraid to get rejected? Yes, I'm still afraid to get rejected. <laughs> <laughs> I want to meet somebody who says never. <laughs> so, so what, what, what drives you? What, like, if you did get rejected or someone told you no, what allowed you to make the next call and the next call? I was more afraid of failing in front of people. I, I was more afraid um, that 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 I would be pitied. That that people would feel sorry for me, and and I that was unacceptable. I was more afraid of that than than strangers saying no because I knew I could make as many phone calls as my fingers would let me, and I just believed I could get a job and turn it into something that that I would like and, you know, create it. Um, I don't know, a little crazy. Cause then when I jumped into the whole pajama thing before it even had a name, I realized that that's my nature. I jump in before, even if I don't know how to swim, mm-hmm. I jump and then I just splash around until, until I'm not drowning. <laughs> it's not, it's not always the best way to do things because obviously I've had a lot of challenges and people are a lot smarter than me when they start something, but I didn't want to talk myself out of it. So I just jumped. What, I mean, what do you think one or two of those like bigger challenges that you've had to kind of overcome to get to where you are currently? Well, you know, you, you hit it, you hit it when you said, was I afraid of being rejected? The, the one thing, and I've thought a lot about this and I write about it in my book. I write, I write honestly about everything, getting into debt, how much I spent without really knowing, and I'm not a saver. So I started out in a bad place and I got worse. And, you know, my marriage was, it was difficult for my, for my husband who, and I wasn't married when I, um, I married him when I was 38, um, because I really was obsessed with the whole pajama thing for a very, for years. And it wasn't fair to him or anybody in my life. But anyway, that's, that's the nature of being obsessed. Right. So I always thought if, if I would have changed anything, I would have assembled a cheerleading squad. And and I think that we all need that. The people that trust us to, to do what we feel we, we need to do for our heart, for our, for the greater good, our purpose, our mission, we're all looking for that, for meaning in life. And, and I was missing that. So instead of finding those people and trusting and telling those people what I was thinking, you know, I'm, I think I'm going to trade all this success and, and security to give pajamas out. And I don't know where it's going to lead or if I'll ever be able to, you know, to eat again. I instead, because I just didn't think about it, told a few people who thought I was crazy. And they they just started shooting all these questions that I had no answers for. Why? And couldn't you do it on the side? And I don't understand. And really, these kids need more than pajamas. What do you think you're going to solve the, the world's, you know, questions? And it one after another, it was like a blow, a blow, a blow. And it, it knocked me down. And I didn't yet have a support system that I confided in. And that was really hard and really, really dumb on my part. So I, you know, I've been mentoring and, and helping people and brainstorming and, and most of the time just listening. And that's one thing I'll always say, who's your cheerleading squad? Who's going to be there to help you when you've got to get up? Yeah. I mean, it, it's some people, I mean, I think a lot of us, we need that push, right? 
when you can't push yourself. And I think over time you start building the confidence off those mini wins. The yeah. Getting going is, I think, the tough part about it. So do you, over time, start building your cheerleading squad? Yeah. Well, I realized um, clearly people were noticing a change in me. Um, and and I, I did ask for pajamas and books, and I was pretty low-key because I didn't want them to know my my big dream because I didn't know how I was going to one one day from the next. So I did confide, obviously, in the man I married, and he said, go for it. And then my mom, who I was hoping would trust me and say, good for you. You know, you found something beautiful to do and instead of, you know, working yourself up to the 41st floor. And she did say that. Uh, my dad was worried, you know, but still supportive because he was my dad. But um, my mom was my North Star and she helped and my husband helped. And then I started to say, oh, this is really good because then those people who, you know, I was avoiding because they always were going to ask me, how's it going? And almost make fun of me. It didn't bother me as much. And I said, oh, this is good. This is where I'm supposed to be going to these people. And then the more people I told and the more people I opened up to about the story and the little girl's question to me, the more people felt the same. It was like she was talking to each of them. And it was a human connection, which I talk about in, in the, my book a lot, that seemed to go from her to me, to them, to her. Is it, or her to me through them. It was just, it's incredible. It's incredible. And then I, I felt a lot better that I had some support. Do you, do you think there was a, a moment where you go, I'm on the right path? There were, because I think, I believe, and I've, I've learned in 20 years of pajama program that the universe is there. There's this invisible force when you make a commitment and there is actually a poem of sorts called commitment that when you make the decision and you commit un unseen forces rally to help you when you need it. Now that doesn't mean every time you say, you know, you're not magic. I need a million dollars. You get it. No. But if, if you're working towards something that in your heart and your hard voice, I call it directs you there, then little coincidences, if you want miracles come in and help. So that was happening along the way. And it was, you know, the first voice was very spooky, but I heard, I didn't know what to call pajama program. And my husband said, keep asking, keep asking, listen to that hard voice you heard the first day. And I did. And I kept asking all the time, what is this thing, the pajamas? What am I supposed to do? On the subway in New York City, I heard a plop like a raindrop in my head. And I heard the words pajama program. And I said, okay, that's it. It's called pajama program. And I, little things would happen. And I just, I just felt it like, like you feel anything that you know, without, without an explanation, without science behind it, that, okay, take another step, keep going, keep going. And enough of those things happened that I felt, especially when people were reacting, um, how I did that, oh my goodness, we can, we can help, we can fix this. It's not hard. Then I, I, I did, I, I felt the support from people and that and that human connection of my telling that story. Can you can you walk the listeners through the idea of from giving that first set of pajamas to the to the kids and then kind of building a nonprofit? And I'm assuming the next step is is um, asking people for donations and things like that. I mean, what's that process like? Well, it's funny that you ask me because I did not know. I did not know I was going to start a nonprofit. I did not know how to start it. 
Um, and I was just doing this on the side until I could figure out how to make a transition that, you know, was going to be real. So a lady, a woman reporter called from a national magazine and she asked me, are you the lady on the street handing out pajamas and shelters? Something just like that. And I said, I guess so. And she said, can I write a little article? Just paragraph or so. I said, sure. Well, she wrote an article. And when I tell you thousands and thousands of boxes and packages arrived at my doorstep, I thought I was going to get kicked out of the co-op I was living in because the, the, the doorman was yelling, was I doing an illegal business? What was this? It was taking up all the space in the lobby, all the storage spots. It was an onslaught. I had no idea, but it was because that magazine goes to subscribers before it's on the stands. So I was waiting for it on the stands like two weeks later and people got it at home and already went shopping and already mailed me all their um, donations. So as we're going through them and we had boxes, we were eating on boxes. It was unbelievable for days and, and weeks. But in the beginning, we'd open and cry and laugh and read the handwritten notes one was a typed professional letter, and it said, please send us your 501c3 so you can get a grant. And I looked at my husband, and I said, what is this 501c3 <laughs> thing? I had no clue. <clears throat> and when I found out, I said, well, I, I, I say you always have a choice, but I didn't have a choice. I said, these people, oh, look at these people. They trust me. This is a responsibility. I, I asked for it. And I have to deliver, literally. So that was the beginning of filling out paperwork for the nonprofit. And then when you do that, I give so much advice because I did so much wrong, Vinny. I just like I kept getting ahead of myself. I I would write my I wrote my budget and my five year plan on a sheet like this from a notebook and I would take a pen and make five columns, one-year plan, two-year plan, three-year. I literally did that for a long time, for a couple of years. And I would write how many pajamas I wanted to give out, how much money I needed, just so amateurish. And that was my five-year plan. And for my um, budget, same thing. I would say, how much money do I have? How many credit cards do I have? What is my credit card limit? How many places can I see? That was my budget. And the last thing was my filing system. I had a green folder with a black marker that I wrote needs pajamas on the front. And I would shove papers like this in with lists of people who called me because one shelter staffer would tell another. Before you know it, I was getting calls on my cell phone, which was as big as a box, a shoe box back then. So that was my system. So you need some professional help. <laughs> I probably would have had more sleep if I had taken a chance and called people, but I was embarrassed to call people. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't know how to do it. I figured I was just going to figure it out, but it, it took a long time because I, I didn't immediately say, okay, I'm just going to have to ask everybody for help. So that's how I did one step in front of the other, baby steps. To, to do it again, so would you call attorney then, I'm guessing? Or yeah. would you call your network? Okay. Yeah, I did. I finally did. I finally um, was very meek about it. And I called and I said, do you know any attorney who's going to not charge me an arm and a leg, please? 
and I looked for an attorney. I looked for um, a nonprofit, somebody who knew nonprofit budgeting and finance, um, anybody who, who could help me. And a lot of people donated their time. And a lot of people gave me, you know, big breaks. And I was so grateful. And I didn't know people did things pro bono, but they do. So <laughs> people, people know that now. Do you, have you ever thought or have you ever done where you reached out to that past journalist that wrote that article on you or that era? Yeah, I can't find her. I did try. I have her name, obviously, because I, I, I think it's on the article, but I did a while ago. Um, but there was there were a couple of others that also did similar. And yes, I was back in touch with them. They were easy to find people, early people. Yes. Nice. Well, if you could look back at your younger self, that person that was making those cold calls uh, in her bedroom, what kind of advice do you think you'd give to her? Well, first I say, good for you. <laughs> you didn't know what you didn't know. <laughs> you know, you're in a chutzpah. Um, I'd, I'd like to think I still do, but you know, I don't know why as we get older, we get more cautious. But um, I, I do think when you are young and fearless, it's the best time of your life. You know, it's just, it is. You're free and you think you can do anything. And I think, you know, we need to bottle that. Um, I, I, I probably just would have said, just ask if, whenever you don't know anything, you don't have to know everything. Just ask, just ask and, and share, share stories because the minute I shared about that little girl and how I felt, and I saw the reaction, people felt the same way. It just propelled me to just stand on a soapbox and just scream out the story and, you know, hope for a few supporters. Is your father still around? He passed away two years ago. So he, he was able to see basically the growth that you had in your business. Yeah. What, yeah. what was his, uh, his feelings on everything? He was, he was very proud. He was very proud. Yeah. He, he said, you know, he always had, he always had faith in me and I think he did. And I think he was just being a protective father, you yeah. know, especially because I was single, you know, he, and when my sister got married, who was younger than me, he took me aside on her wedding day and I was, I was shocked and I thought something was wrong. I said, what is that? And he said, just, I want to ask you, are you okay that your sister's getting married before you? And I, I said, yes, I don't want to get married. You know, <laughs> I'm fine, dad, don't you worry. And I, and I was so, I was touched and confused because he just, he was worried about that. He thought I might be embarrassed in front of, you know, the, the, the big wedding that, you know, my sister was having. And it was, it was, I remember that like it was yesterday. I didn't want to laugh. I didn't want him to say, you know, not me, <laughs> but not me, father. not me then. Yes. Italian father. He, you know, he wanted to know that I was being taken care of. So what's next for the pajama program? Um, pajama program is pajamaprogram.org. Three years ago, I, I've been trying to write this book and I love speaking. And as we grew 63 chapters around the U.S., and Puerto Rico, and you know, sometimes even beyond, I was more and more at the desk and less and less in front of people telling our story. And I am not, as you have now heard, a businesswoman who really can dig into a contract and knows, and I, I would lose sleep. Did I, did I cross the T? Did I dot the I? Should I call the lawyer about this or that? And so I went to the board and I said, this isn't my best talent. And this baby now has to go to college. Can we hire an executive director and I will step down and I will write my book. I will always be the founder and I will speak about our story and try to 
you know, keep that emotional piece alive and hire somebody who is smarter than I am and can, you know, can do all this stuff. And we hired a great attorney who had been the uh, president of our board uh, a few years ago. And she is exactly that. She, she can take our baby to college and I get to do what I love and share stories and listen to people who, you know, want to do something and, and help them figure it out. If anything that I learned is, you know, benefit for them. Now, if someone's listening and, and they've heard your story, they've I mean, heard your emotion, they want to reach out uh, to you or maybe the, the, the platform and kind of give back. What's the best way of, of doing that? They can reach me at GenevievePituro.com or my email is Jen at GenevievePituro.com. And, um, you know, I love listening. I love to share. I, I love to know what people are thinking whether it's nonprofit or just a business, there are incredible stories of what people are doing and, and want to do. And at this time, I think it's really important that everybody, we all keep our dreams alive. You know, we, we can't, some of us keep our dreams on the back burner. And when this whole quarantine COVID hit, they seem to move further back. And, and I urge people, bring them a little closer, do the opposite. Don't say goodbye to them. Bring them in. If you can't take that jump, slide something into your life. You don't need a jump. You can do a slide and, and incorporate whatever it is that you love. And you you always said one day, you know, when everything is in order and I have enough money, I'm going to do this. Do a piece now, just an hour a week. It'll it'll make you feel like you there's something in you alive and we're all feeling not quite 100 um, percent alive right now. And it'll, it'll bring that joy and it'll change your outlook on everything. And, and you'll be, it's a gift to yourself and a reminder that my dreams are there and, and I'm not forgetting them and, and I'm keeping them alive. Well, thank you, Genevieve, for, for being on the podcast. The, the, thank you for telling your story. I mean, I, I think one thing throughout the whole process is just really fall forward. Just do it and you'll get there. Uh, so, if you, again, if you're listening right now and you want to give back in your community, make that call. Reach out to Genevieve and just give back. Thank you again, Genevieve. Thank you, Vinny. Thank you, everyone. Thank you for listening to The Road to Growth, Success of an Entrepreneur. Please like, subscribe, and stay connected. Visit www.TheEnriquezGroup.com. Yeah, I created a website. Hope to see you again next week. The Enriquez Group, signing off.